Today, I, I want to take a few moments to just talk about moms a little bit. And this will have application to everyone in the room, men included. For more than a hundred years, the majestic Statue of Liberty has towered above Liberty Island near the entrance to the New York Harbor. It's a symbol of freedom here in our country. The famous sculptor, Bartholdi, gave 20 years of devoted effort to the work. Personally, he superintended the raising of the subscription of $4 million with which the French nation gave to the United States. When the subscriptions lagged, Bartholdi pledged his own private fortune to defray the running expenses and he practically impoverished himself fulfilling the work of creating the Statue of Liberty. At the start, when Bertoldi looked for a model whose form and features he could reproduce as Lady Liberty, he received much contradictory counsel. One of the leading art authorities advised him that the statue should depict, quote, figures of thought which are grand in themselves, end quote. After examining many outstanding heroes, Bartholdi chose as a model for the colossal masterpiece, his mother. He had a high view of his mom. And I do too. I was blessed with a super mom. An incredible mom. And, and I married into an incredible mother-in-law. Or mother-in-love, I should say. And so grateful for you today. Happy Mother's Day. And God has blessed me personally with a wife that is the best mom I know. And I know many of you guys could say the same thing, but I get a microphone. So my wife is not okay. But the scripture tells us in Proverbs 31, 28. Check this out. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also. He praises her. It's biblical, guys. He praises her. She's blessed. So here's what I'm not going to do this morning. I'm not going to try to tell you ladies how to be a better mom. Because I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. That's not what I'm going to try to do today. But the goal is this. The goal is not to be a better mom, to be a better wife. The goal is not for me to be a better father or to be a better better husband. The goal for every Christian, every believer here today, the goal is be like Jesus. That's the goal. Be like Jesus. And if we can strive for that, if our heart and our attitude and our inclinations and our character can be molded and fashioned into the nature of Jesus Christ, all that other stuff's going to fall into place. So I don't have to get exceptionally uh, detailed and practical with you about motherhood today. I want to challenge you to be like Jesus. Romans 12.2 gives us a, a powerful picture of the, the process that we should be on as the people of God. Check it out on the screen. It says, Romans 12.2, Be not conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We have to allow ourselves to be renewed in our thinking, renewed in our minds. And we do that in God's Word. Jesus said, a, a tree is known by its fruits. 
So as we renew our mind in Christ Jesus, as we're transformed from the inside out, our life begins to change. Our, our, our reaction to circumstances begins to change. The, the fruit of the Spirit of God begins to be evidenced in our lives. And, and we become the greatest father, husband, the greatest mother, wife, the greatest single adult, the greatest person that we can be, the greatest reflection of the glory of God when we strive to be like Jesus. The Bible says that God will give you wisdom if you lack it, you can ask. And so today I want to I want to honor all of the moms because the Bible says a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And as I was meditating on this Sunday this week, there's a lot of women in the Bible that we could talk about. I mean, there's a long list of women who were exemplary in being mothers. I I thought about Hannah this week and and how last Sunday for New Life Sunday, it wasn't last Sunday just an awesome day. Man, to see so many people up here celebrating what God's doing in their life. Part of that celebration was three moms that, that came with their husbands and stood on this platform with my wife and I, and they followed in the footsteps of Hannah, who prayed and believed God for a child in the book of first samuel she interceded and she cried out because she was barren and god heard her prayer and gave her a son but her intercession didn't stop there she prayed for that child. she taught him how to worship god and she turned him over to the lord an incredible example of of what it means to be a praying mom listen a godly mother is a mom who prays for her kids A mom who takes up that responsibility of intercession to know that, you know, wherever they're at, whatever they're doing, even if they're outside of my uh, my reach and I can't comfort them and I can't control them and console them, God is in control and he's their shield and defense. And so I'm going to I'm going to pray for those kids. That's that's an incredible, incredible mom. For their kids, another thing that, that godly mothers do is they're courageous. They act on behalf of their families. They're they're courageous. I thought about a mother by the name of Jacobed. Maybe you you know her. You might not know her name, but you might be familiar with her story because she grew up in a time she was a, a Hebrew slave, and she grew up in a time uh, where there was a decree that any uh, Hebrew boys that were born should be killed. And she gave birth in that season of her nation's history. And so fearlessly, and she, she gave birth in secrecy. And she took care of this child with no one knowing for about three months until the day came when she could no longer hide her son anymore. And so the Bible says that she weaved a basket out of reeds and she waterproofed it with tar and pitch and she took her little baby boy and she hid him in that basket and placed it in the Nile River in the bulrushes and she hid him there the Bible says that Pharaoh's daughter came to the edge of the Nile River and found that little baby boy and then Jacobed did something that also was risky she sent her daughter to go over and approach the Pharaoh's daughter and ask if she would like for her to find a Hebrew woman to nurse this child. And so Jacobed now comes with her daughter as a volunteer to nurse her own son. And Pharaoh's daughter, when she looked at that baby boy, she said she named him Moses, which means I drew him out of the water. And so 
Pharaoh's daughter took Moses and placed him back in the arms of his own mother. And Jochebed was able to pray over her son and nurse her son and raise her son until the day that she took him back and gave him to Pharaoh's daughter. That was courage. That was boldness. And when I think about her life, it's a reflection of what a mother would do. I mean, I, 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 you do not want to get between a mother bear and her cubs. And, and it's the same, it's the same uh, with, with us, right? Moms, boy, I mean, you, you can get the most meek-mannered mom in the world, but mess with her kids, and something of a righteous indignation comes out. They're, they're courageous. Moms protect their kids. I don't know that this has any application to what I'm saying, but I just remembered this story, and I just have to tell it to you right now, uh, because I see Cheryl back there, and, uh, and she was here with her granddaughter last week. And Pam was telling me that we had the water baptism service. And uh, so she sat with her granddaughter and, and they, uh, was it rain? Yeah, they watched, the, uh, they watched everybody being baptized. And, and uh, so after the service, uh, rain went home and she told her mom, uh, they, were, they were drowning people at church today. But I didn't want to get drowned. I was wearing my good clothes. <laughs> so thank you for protecting her. From us last Sunday, Cheryl. We don't want to drown any kids. I, I think about I think about a mom like Eunice. Eunice was a mom who who is a godly woman because she trained her kids in the Word of God. Now you might not know Eunice, but I would dare say you probably have heard of her son. Her son was Timothy, and Timothy was the protege of the Apostle Paul. In fact, Paul had such admiration for Timothy. I want you to to hear a verse of Scripture. Paul was talking about this young man in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20 through 22, and he says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Paul had so much confidence in this young man. He said, there's no one else like him. And he had a lot of ministry partners. I mean, the New Testament is chock full of people that worked with him. He said, there's nobody like Timothy. And part of the reason that he had such confidence in this young man in the ministry was because he knew about his upbringing. He knew about the kind of mother that Timothy had. He knew about her devotion to the Word of God and the systematic teaching and training of this young man. You say, how do you know that? Because in his letter to Timothy, the second letter to Timothy, Paul writes these words in chapter 1 and verse 5. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. And I am persuaded that it now lives in you also. Can I just encourage the single moms for a moment? Or maybe, maybe you're not a single mom, but maybe your husband is not towing the, the line of spiritual leadership in the home. And so you're the only one that is trying to influence your kids to godliness. Can I just encourage you with the life of Eunice? Because that was her reality. When the Bible introduces Timothy in Acts chapter 16 and verse 1... 
Here's what the Bible says. It says, Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer. That was Eunice. But whose father was Greek. He didn't have a godly dad. He didn't have a dad who was modeling uh, manhood for him and Christianity and Christ-likeness for him. But he had a mom who prayed for him, who taught him the word of God. And Paul was so impressed with this young man. He said, there's nobody like this man. Why? Because he was trained. He has the faith that was in his mother and the faith that was in his grandmother. And I just want to encourage you, if you feel like you're all alone in this thing, God can use you. God can use your influence to absolutely shape and cultivate a champion for Jesus Christ. He did it with Eunice. He can do it in your life. Let me tell you about another mom that that I thought about this week. I thought about Rufus's mom. Now you're going, now pastor, you're really reaching. Maybe you never heard of Rufus's mom. We don't know her name. She's just Rufus's mom. But she played an important part in the Apostle Paul's life. In fact, in Romans chapter 16, it's maybe the most personal chapter in all of Paul's writings. He's listing all the people that he's thankful for, all the people that he remembers, all the people that he's grateful for. And down in verse 13, here's what he writes. He says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. This lady, we don't know her name. But Rufus' mom took on a responsibility in the church. She loved Paul like he was her own son. And, and you might be here today and maybe you don't have any children. Maybe you don't have any, uh, never had children. Or maybe you don't have any children living today. But can I just tell you that there is a responsibility and a role that God has for godly women in the church. He has a role... And, and, the Bible has canonized this woman in Romans 16, 13. And I believe it's just for one reason, that, that she would be listed. I believe she was listed because God wanted to remind women in the church today of your important responsibility to be like a mother to others in the body of Christ. I mean, Paul was the greatest missionary that, that ever lived. I mean, he wrote over half the New Testament, and yet there was something he needed. He needed a mom in his life. And he said, I thank God for, for Rufus's mom, for, for being like a mom to me. You know, I, I haven't lived within 600 miles of my mom since two days after I graduated high school. And, and I can just think about the last several years, and I want to tell you, I'm grateful for the women in the church that have treated me like a son. The, the women in the church that have just loved me. Now, I have a great relationship with my mom. In fact, they were here with me this last weekend, and, and on Thursday, I stayed up till 3 a.m. sitting at the table talking with mom. Because I so value those conversations and, and the, the face-to-face interaction is so few and far between. We just sat there and talked and talked and talked until I realized it was three in the morning. But there are women in this room that God wants to remind today. You have, you have something that's created in you by God. You were formed in His nature. There's a mothering nature in you. Regardless of how many kids you do or don't have, you have 
a part to play in the body of Christ. And somebody needs to be able to say, like Paul said about Rufus's mother, thank God for them. They were like a mom to me. They loved me. They were, they were concerned about my life. Their, their nature and their nurture. Their, their compassion and their prayers for me. It was significant. Their encouragement and their empathy. All those things that we see that, that women uh, exude is a reflection of the character of God. And we need that. We need you in our lives. We could go on and on today talking about other mothers like Sarah, like Naomi, women like Mary. But I just want to look, for the time we have left, at one more woman in the Bible that, that I think did something that every mom should do. And I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bible to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. And I want to look at a story that illustrates for us a reality that some of you know too well and some of you maybe haven't come to grips with yet. But the reality is this. Every mom reaches a point where you can only do so much for your children. Every dad as well. As much as you want to protect them from every scraped knee, as much as you want to protect them from every lesson of life learned the hard way, as much as you don't want to see that first heartbreak, it's going to happen. And there's going to come a day and a time where you realize that I can only do so much for my children. And this, this story that we're going to look at illustrates how critically important it is that, that we put our children in the hands of Jesus Christ. That we, that we place our kids in His hands. Look at it with me in Luke chapter 7. Let's just read verse 11 and 12. It says, Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. I want you to get this picture in your mind. There's two crowds that are converging at the city gate. One is a crowd of mourners led by a widow woman who's just lost her only son. The other is a crowd that's led by none other than Jesus himself. They're coming into the city of Nain. I think it's interesting that the word Nain means a pleasant and a delightful or a lovely place. So when I think about the fact that this woman is in Nain, she's in a pleasant place. It, it just reminds me that you can be in a place and not at a place. You could be here this morning and, and it's a day of celebration and you just don't feel that celebratory. You can be in the middle of a crowd and you can feel totally isolated. How many of you know what I'm talking about? She's in a pleasant place, but she's not feeling very pleasant in this moment. And let me just say to you, maybe you're here today and, and you're in this sanctuary and, and this sanctuary could be described as Nain. This is a pleasant place. This is a, a lovely place. This is a, a good place. But in your heart, you don't feel like it's Nain. You feel like you're in a wilderness. You feel like, like you're lost, like you're isolated, like, like things are falling apart. And while everybody else is lifting their hands, yours feel like they're yoked down in bondage. 
I just want to encourage you today with this thought. Jesus knows exactly what's going on in your life today. That's why it's so critical to me that we are led by the Spirit of God. Because this is what we see in the life of Jesus in this moment. He didn't just happen to show up on that day at that time. In fact, the Bible says that Nain was about 10 miles south of Nazareth where Jesus was born. But more significantly, it was 27 miles from Capernaum, which is where Jesus was at just the day before when he healed the centurion's servant. 27 miles in one day. That tells me that Jesus made haste to get there on purpose. He was on an assignment. He made his way to Nain so that he could be at that city gate with his crowd of believers at the very moment that this widow was coming out of the city gate with a crowd of mourners. Jesus knows exactly where you're at. He knows exactly what you're going through. And if you will just give your situation to Jesus, I want you to know he can meet your need. There's an incredible interaction that's about to happen at this intersection of her point of need and his providence. God who is faithful, God who is good, wants to meet you in this pleasant place this morning. I don't want you to just see that they were in a pleasant place. I want you to see what the problem was. So let's look a little bit deeper at what's going on in this widow's life. This is a tragedy. I mean, a a funeral is sad enough as it is. Death is, is hard to deal with. But this was her only son. I say this with sensitivity. I say this with sensitivity because I know that maybe some of you have experienced this. But it is unnatural to precede our children in death. It's unnatural. Death is hard enough in itself. But this is her only son that she is leading in this funeral procession. And not only that, her her husband has already died. She's a widow. And so in this future and in this day, all of her uh, all of her security for the future is in the coffin. There there was no such thing as social security. Your social security number in that day was the number of children you had. That was the way it worked. They're going to take care of you when you're old. And since she had no husband, and since she now had no children, she was going to be absolutely dependent on the culture, on the benevolence of other people to fulfill her needs. That's just the way that the culture was set up in that day. And so she's in a desperate situation. I just want to say this morning that if there was ever a person that felt alone in a crowd, it was this lady. And now she's in two crowds. Look at verse 13. It says, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't worry. Then he went up and he touched the buyer. They were carrying him on. And the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man set up. And began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Let me talk about the pity that Jesus showed to this woman for a moment. He, he, he interrupts this funeral. And he takes incredible action. And there's a lot of speculation about why Jesus would take that action. Why would he, why would he do this? Why would he travel some 27 
miles. Now in John 5, which happens to coincide with the timeline, Jesus had prophesied clearly that God has the power over life and so does the Son. He demonstrated that he was going to raise the dead. He told them, I'm going to illustrate this. Jesus, the Son of God, has the same power to to speak life over death. And so he chooses in this moment to enact this miracle for this woman in this community. And there's been a lot of speculation as to why. Some would say it was because Jesus wanted to align himself with the prophets of the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha. And there may be some truth to that. It's actually pretty amazing the the similarities of the stories that, that all three of them raised the dead child of a widow. And that all three of them met the widow at the city gate. And so there could be some truth to that. That Jesus was aligning himself with the great prophets of the Old Testament. But there's other people that say, no, that, that's not why Jesus did this. Because Luke, who wrote this gospel, was not a Jew. Some would say that because he was a Gentile, he included this story in the gospel to show that Jesus was better than the Roman sorcerers. Because there was actually a, a Roman mythological story that told the story of a princess who had died on the day of her wedding. And the groom was so heartbroken and he was weeping over the coffin of his bride who died the day before her wedding. And all of Rome was mourning with him. But Apollonius, a local magician, history says, witnessed their grief and he said, put the coffin down and I will stop the tears you're shedding for this maiden. And by merely touching the coffin and whispering a spell over her, he raised the maiden from the dead. So that was a a story, a mythological Roman story that people believed in. So some say, well, Luke wrote this to show that Jesus is more powerful. Now, did he do it to align himself with the prophets? Maybe he did. Did he show that he's more powerful than some mythological figure? Absolutely, he did. But we don't have to dive too much into extra biblical history to know why Jesus showed up in this moment and interrupted this funeral. It's right there in verse 13. Look at it again. It says, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. Don't cry. Can I tell you that Jesus, the Bible says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close. The Bible says he bottles your tears. In other words, there's not a tear that you shed that is off his radar. He is aware. The Bible says he keeps track of all of my sorrows. Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw the tears that she prayed. In the same way that God was moved with compassion when Hannah knelt and wept bitter tears on the altar and cried out for a son. God heard her tears. He kept them, the word says, and he responded to it. And I want you to know that that's the God that we serve today. Maybe you've been praying about something for a a long, long time. Don't grow weary in your intercession. God knows your burden. And he's faithful. He had pity on her. But let me tell you what the purpose was. Look at the next two verses with me. Verse, down in verse 16, it says, They were all filled with awe, and they praised God. 
A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And this news, verse 17 says, this news about Jesus spread throughout the Judea and the surrounding country. God has come to his people. It says, the reason that God performed this miracle, the reason that Jesus raised this dead boy to life is the same reason that he performed all of the miracles. He did it for the glory of God. It says they were all filled with praises. He came to bring glory to God. And that's what God wants to do in your life. That's what God wants to do in response to your prayers and to your intercession. Here's what I know today as I look around this room. There, there are moms here who carry heavy burdens for their kids. You might have, you might have a son or a daughter who's, who's bound on drugs today. You might have a son or daughter who's in an abusive relationship. Maybe your son or, or daughter is struggling with, with uh, homosexuality or gender identity. and Maybe your kids are, are, are struggling physically today. We, we could go on and on about the issues that, that we might be facing. And it's just a reality that, that mom carries the burden. You can't just put that away. You can't just cut yourself off from it. You carry that burden. What I want to challenge you today is to carry it to Jesus. Come to the crossroads where your sorrow meets the Savior. Come to the intersection where God can work a miracle on your behalf. Because He is moved by your tears. He's moved by your intercession today. And whatever it is you're facing, God is faithful. He can respond in this moment. There's nothing He can't do today. God wants to be glorified. Just as much today as he did in that moment. At that coffin. When he raised that boy to life. And I I just want to speak a word to all of the moms today. I want to encourage you on this Mother's Day. To one more time. Maybe, Maybe you've done it a thousand times. But one more time. Put your family in God's hands. As an act of obedience. As an act of surrender and trust to God. Place your family back in his hands. Whatever the the situation is that's that's grieved you, maybe today you're here with a heavy heart, put it back in God's hands. Trust him with it completely. And and let me just, before we pray with the moms, let me just stop and and say to the rest of the room, you might be here today and, and your life isn't reflected in the mother, but your life is reflected in the boy. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible says that if we have not repented of sin, if we have not asked God for forgiveness, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And so while physically you may be alive, the reality for you is spiritually you're lifeless. You're dead today. Maybe you've had a mom that's prayed for you for years. Today could be the moment for you at an intersection on Mother's Day to meet Jesus and to be raised to life again. Listen, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, you don't have a relationship with God, maybe you've run from Him for a long time, you've, you've rejected His invitation, you've, you've dismissed the prayers of loved ones, but today you recognize, I don't have a relationship with God and spiritually I'm dead, I'm empty, I haven't been washed clean. 
But you want to be. Today, God can save your life. He can do, how do you do it? You just simply pray and believe. The Bible says if we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and we confess with our mouth that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Resurrection life can come to you today. So before we pray for the moms, I, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for those who might just be spiritually dead on this Mother's Day. Would you bow your head with me all over this room and just reverence this moment with God? Perhaps you're here today on your mom's invitation. She's done what this woman of Nain did. She brought her son to Jesus. And God wants to give Yeah, you, you can cut that, guys. Thanks. Hear me today. God wants to give new life. God wants to give salvation today. Not temporary life. This young boy, he really didn't get resurrection life. He got resuscitation. He died again. Jesus was the first one to have resurrection life. The one to raise from the grave and never die again. The Bible says Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. One day we'll all have resurrection life. This boy was given his life back. God wants to give you eternal life today. By simply putting your faith in him. So I want to pray for you right now. And I just want you to be honest with God in this moment. If you say, you know what, I need Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I need to give him my heart. I need to surrender my life to him. I need to be washed clean today. If that's you... While every head is bowed, every eye is closed, this is just between you and God. I want you to just raise your hand up high and say, Pastor, that's me. Would you pray for me? Say, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. You can put your hand back down after you've raised it. Say, that's me. I need Jesus to rescue me. I need him to save me. I need the life of Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that in this moment, you're speaking life. You're speaking life. In this moment, Lord God, in the same way that you spoke to that young man. You're saying to us, get up, live, live. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Live in the power of Jesus today.